You are now listening to Startup 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 Soundboard. Startup 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 Soundboard. Brought to you by Mass Challenge. Mass Challenge. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Women and Entrepreneurship Edition of the Startup Soundboard. I am your host, Mass Challenge Marketing Manager Jibron Malik. As per usual, I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Marketing Coordinator Shannon Sullivan. So, what's going on with women in entrepreneurship? There was actually a map on the Washington Post posted by Hunter Schwartz over the weekend that showed that women, in fact, outnumber men in most states. Yet men, far and wide, dominate the startup scene. It's a boys' club. So, to sort of demystify all of this, we brought in some incredible mass challenge entrepreneurs. Can you guys uh, introduce yourselves and tell us what you do? Sure. Hello, everybody. I'm Jacqueline Hong. I'm co-founder and CEO of Clio Health. We are a digital health company that's helping healthcare providers uh, take better care, give better care to their patients by engaging them through easy self-reporting and automated relevant feedback to both the provider and patient. And I'm Sarah Haig, co-founder and COO of Silverside Detectors, and we help governments reduce the threat of nuclear terrorism by making a new kind of radiation detector that can be networked in urban areas for large area scanning of smuggled nuclear material. Great. Thanks for joining us, guys. Great radio voices. Yep. You guys got your first rodeo, I assume? <laughs> yes. So to start off this discussion, I wanted to ask you folks, um, as female entrepreneurs, uh, do you feel like there are some you know, unique bridges and challenges that you have to face that men don't necessarily have to cross themselves? We were talking about this before before we started um, recording about that the, neither Jackie nor I has been a male entrepreneur, so sure. we can really just speak to what it's like being a woman and what it's like being in our particular jobs. For me, I would be hard-pressed to define any challenges I've faced as being caused by being a woman, mm-hmm. but what I do find is sometimes it's a challenge or an opportunity, I guess I would put it, um, being a woman in a high-tech space. Mm-hmm. So if I'm networking or meeting somebody and introduce our company, they kind of look at me and go, oh, so you're a physicist, with a little bit of this like confused, not quite doubtful look on their face. And I have a lot of physicist friends who are women, so I don't throw them under the bus. Um, I have a, a political science, public policy background, which maybe slots a little bit more into people's expectations. Um, but what I find, what I found early on is that I needed to try to justify my street cred. Um, and I would throw around a lot of vocabulary and try to build credibility through um, proving I have brains. Um, but what I do now is I just like to engage people in conversation and I do an unusual job and it's not what one would necessarily expect at a you know at a cocktail party, um, but I love to use that element of surprise to draw people into conversation, and that will immediately or very soon dispel any initial eyebrow raising that comes from either being a woman or from you know being an entrepreneur in the nuclear terrorism field. Yeah, I think you know similar to Sarah. I mean, I don't know what it's like being a male entrepreneur, and from a credibility perspective, I mean, I always talk about you know my background, you know, fifteen years in health IT, and that usually stops everybody uh, if they had any preconceptions of me not being a good leader or being an appropriate leader for this business. 
Um, but I will speak to one very unique experience, which is, you know, in, in the last two years, um, you know, I went through a pregnancy and delivered a child. And so I was actually raising money at the time that I was pregnant. I was pregnant we were, when we were going through Mass Challenge. And so that's certainly unique to being a woman um, because when you are pregnant, you are basically wearing a sticker on your forehead that basically says, I am a woman and I am going to have a big life event happening. And so I think the battle for me was actually mental personally more than anything else. I don't know what everybody was thinking in the back of their head. Um, Nobody told me that I don't think you can do this because you're going to be having a child. But we probably did have some investors that might have backed out of our deal because they weren't sure. Um, But on the other hand, um, it was my sister who told me, well, it probably will help you as much as it hurts you. Because certainly I think there were maybe some investors who saw that me going through this and driving forward with our fundraising round while, you know, eight, nine months pregnant, saw some grit and determination and that I was really serious about this. So, you know, I think there's also opportunities on the, the flip side of it, too. So to take a little bit more of a, a controversial turn, so everybody loves Shark Tank, and I've watched it plenty of times myself, and I've noticed, maybe this is something I've noticed in particular, but I've noticed that in Shark Tank, female entrepreneurs often get a hug instead of a handshake um, after their pitches. Uh, have you sort of faced any elements of that <laughs> in the entrepreneurship world? So I've never watched Shark Tank, but I, I do think we're nailing something that's a little bit tricky, and this might be an American um, issue because in other countries there's that impersonal air kiss mm-hmm. which is genderless in any social setting um, oh my gosh that's so much easier to navigate than the hug um, <laughs> for me the the question is when I have a personal friendship or a relationship I will generally greet somebody with a hug it's it's my culture it's how I do that and then what happens then when you mix this personal relationship and a business relationship with advisors, for example, um, if it's purely a business relationship, you're never going to go anywhere. You know, like yeah. it, everything becomes personal. And then you say, okay, I'm in like, I'm in Mass Challenge. I'm in a coffee shop somewhere. I'm meeting somebody for a business meeting. And a handshake is going to be really cold. And yet a hug is like, do I really want to touch this person? There's no <laughs> middle ground. Yeah. Um, so on, on Shark Tank, I would never expect, I'm, not, I'm speaking too blindly here, I would never expect to have um, a person with whom you've never acted come up and give you a hug. That to me, and pretty much to any woman walking around, I assume I'd be willing to project is completely inappropriate. But somebody with whom you've developed a personal relationship, like, I'm going to hug him. And I think probably like a fair number of women would. And that's just freaking awkward. So we have to bring back the kiss. This is my my solution. I I totally see your point. And I think that it's interesting to say that um, it's all about your relationships because that's, that's very true. But if you're in a boardroom setting or like you're walking into a meeting, like you would absolutely never expect Mm -hmm. to be hugged or to, to, you know, what is, what is the, I guess, protocol that I think women generally follow when they're, you know, faced with that situation, like somebody is trying to, I guess, force physical contact in a way that's not really appropriate for that setting. So I think that's something that uh, Gibran is picking up that he's noticed actually on the show regularly. And I think probably, yeah. Jackie, you can speak a little bit more. I mean, I do watch Shark Tank. I never notice it. So now I'm going to watch it and, uh, and then going to look out for that. But I do think that there's sort of a, a funny line. I'll say that in our board meetings, everybody hugs each other. 
because there are men and women on our board. <laughs> and so the men investors um, will greet the women investors with a hug. No, we haven't seen each other for a couple months, you know, something like that. And I don't think if they're going to hug each other, then I think they would see it inappropriate to then extend the handshake to me instead of a, of a hug. So it's hugs all around. Never notice if they hug my co-founder. I'm going to notice again. I don't think the men hug him, but uh, I think that the women do. So that's, that's sort of a sign. Also, they, they're also vested in us as people. And I think that for us, that's a nice place to be. Um, it's more personal. It's more personal. They're also concerned about our personal lives and that we're developing and happy in, in all the aspects because that actually contributes to a sustainable company. So yeah, yeah. I, I have to one. say, it goes back and forth. I think yeah. the awkward, I certainly feel awkward in the situation regularly. And I would hazard a guess that my male counterpart also feels a little bit awkward. And so maybe there's like an awkward shoulder pat one can do. Maybe yeah, like side hug. maybe what you do is you both start clutching your coffee. So you're yeah. like, I have no hands. I can't do any sort of greeting beyond the warm, how are you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess maybe it's more of like a, maybe there needs to be some different social protocol for everyone. It's not necessarily anybody's fault. It's just sort of a uncomfortable situation that nobody knows how to handle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's definitely um, cultural. I mean, I remember uh, I was at one networking event where I was trying to sort of uh, forge sort of a professional connection um, between two people I knew. And so one person I knew was a woman and one person I knew was a man. And um, when I introduced them and I talked to the man afterwards, I asked, hey, like, what do you think about her? And the first thing he said, the first thing he actually said was, yeah, she's cute. And I think oh. that was crazy. It's like, no, the takeaway wasn't that, oh, she's really good at marketing or she really knows her stuff. But the first thing that he went to was she's cute. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was like baffling to me. Yeah. I actually, so as a, a woman who has been in networking situations very similar to your friend that you're talking about, I've actually been told to my face in a professional setting, like compliments on my looks or comments even just on my looks. Or like what I'm wearing, even from other women, it's like, oh, I love your shoes. And it's like, why can't we start a conversation that is professional in a professional setting? So I think that's definitely something that I've noticed. I don't know if you guys have experienced something similar or like if there's any type of like scenario that you've just noticed that there is something inappropriate about this, just the nature of the where, where the conversation starts or where it heads. I've had I've had the compliments from other women. It yeah. doesn't come from men, but uh, mostly other women in a sort of uh, investor customer situation. And I find that quite offensive, mm -hmm. you know, to compliment on my outfit rather than you know a discussion about my business and how we can work together. I so I'm then an egregious like violator of your personal space in this because <laughs> when I'm in a networking situation. I obviously want to get to know somebody in a professional background and I want them to see that in me, but I'm actually also interested in a really strong personal connection. Mm -hmm. And so if I were meeting somebody at a dinner party and I, I would not lead with, or maybe I would lead with like, that's an amazing scarf because that's a personal comment that to me isn't establishing. I look at you only as a person wearing a colorful scarf, but just as a means of saying, Hey, you're going to be more than your business card or your job title. Sure. And so there, yeah, there has yeah. to be sensitivity obviously on this, but, um, I apologize if I've offended people. No, I think it's not necessarily like something that I've been like taken major offense to, and I'm sure you can agree. Like yeah. it's more of just like a well, it seems to happen more often than not with women. Like that, I get 
a conversation that immediately goes to the personal mm-hmm. rather than the professional. No, I, I think the sort of like in that networking circumstance, but I'm actually talking about an instance where I did a presentation and the first comment instead of was, we just really like your outfit. I mean, I thought wow. that was a okay. little bit okay. shocking. Yeah, that's yeah. shocking. Yeah. Was I this like it, a pitching? Like you were pitching the company? It was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So in, you know, they didn't, they, they did proceed to give other feedback about the business model and things like that and other constructive feedback, um, but how could it, I could improve, but I was a little taken aback by that. Mm -hmm. I think it's like a standard, uh, I mean, like Hillary Clinton, for example, like there's constant like feedback in the media and people who are just providing like their opinion on what she's wearing and how her hair looks and there's just so much commentary out there about what she looks like and not what she's saying. But nobody would do that about men. I mean, who, exactly. talks, who talks about what Obama wears? Really? There was the mom jean controversy. And actually the beige suit. The beige suit controversy. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. it takes a lot more for people to start talking. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And actually that reminds me. So there's that. And also when you mentioned your pregnancy, um, that reminds me of something that is not really asked uh, for male entrepreneurs, but I've definitely seen it asked of women entrepreneurs is um, how do you balance work and family? I mean, I think it's baffling that male entrepreneurs never get asked uh, about that even though I see it all the time, like literally uh, I was walking through the mass challenge space and Ken Deckinger of Just Meet Ken was giving a pitch with a baby, with like a, with a baby Bjorn uh, with him at the same time. And he had a baby yes. strapped to his back yeah. while yeah. giving his presentation, yeah, while giving yeah, yeah. which was amazing. Yeah. And I remember reading something the other day, um, I believe it might've been in Forbes about how like, it doesn't make sense really for people to ask how men balance work and family, but for some reason, motherhood sometimes can be sort of an important factor in someone's sort of pitch. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have lots of experience with this now. I mean, I'm going through all of it for the first time, but your comment about Ken, he was probably seen as a hero for doing that. Now, if I strapped my baby to my back while giving a presentation, I think there would be a lot of questions about my priorities and ability to separate life and work. When I saw Ken bring his baby in, I thought that was fabulous but I actually have not brought my child into Mass Challenge. Not really because I think part of it is that uh, I have an inner concern that, well, one of our investors is going to be walking around and just get worried that this might be an everyday occurrence. Do you think there's something that we could be doing to better, I don't know, like socialize people to, to think that it's okay for both men and women to bring their children into the environment or to make like what what could we do differently i guess that would be um i mean help the situation help us move to that next level it's you know there needs to be good father role models too you know so there was a a facebook executive who recently posted on facebook that he took a four-month paternity leave because now facebook offers that i thought that was really amazing because that's a great example to set for the Uh, more junior employees at Facebook, but that needs to start happening. But that prompted an article in the New York Times, and there were three, more than 300 comments the first day it was published, where there were men writing in to say, don't take paternity leave, that's for wusses. Okay, Uh so that's what men are getting into their heads, that, you know, if they take the paternity leave, even if it's offered, that they're going to get passed up for promotion. And that needs to change. Mm -hmm. Because until that changes, women can't, um, you know, really share 
responsibilities of child rearing. Um, and one of the advantages of having our own companies is we get to take the lead in setting this culture. And yes, we get true. to take the lead in saying, okay, how are we going to navigate the the ex, like extensive, extensive cost of granting really humane and progressive benefits both to men and to women. And so we in the startup culture, we can't, we don't get to just comment and like and you know, read blogs out there, we can take a look and say, okay, what are we going to do inside of our own company? Um, I don't have kids, um, but I, but, or and, I'm not sure, <laughs> have never been asked about balance uh, or what I would call distinction between my personal life and my professional life. Um, I don't think there's any such thing as balance. <laughs> nobody nobody <laughs> wants it. There can be distinction. Um, I'm, I also, like, take initiative to ask a lot of guys I know who have families, how they're dealing with that. Because, man, it's hard. Um, and I ask, you know, friends of mine who are having kids or who are about to get married or anything else like that. It's just for me in the conversation of how are you making sure that you're meeting your deadlines and putting everything you can into your business and also making sure you stay human and stay connected to a world outside of your company. Um, so what can we do? We can just make sure we're friends and we talk to people um, about how they're how they're managing these really difficult challenges um, and make sure that there's a comfortable place in our conversation for families, for not families, for <laughs> hobbies, for whatever it is that we have in addition to work. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one thing that uh, sort of I thought a lot about when thinking about the impact of having a child and um, how I would answer questions. So I, nobody actually asked me how I was going to handle having a newborn and keep running the startup. Mm -hmm. um, but I was prepared for that mentally because I was thinking about how I have a lot of friends in the startup world, men who train extensively for triathlons and they're spending a lot of time in the, when they're non-work life doing that. Now, I, I couldn't imagine doing both, although I do know some people who do have young children and also train for triathlons. But yeah, there was something that I'm cutting out. So I, I work out less than I used to. Mm -hmm. And so there is something. But my now hobby part of it is spending time with my family. So it's just a different, it's a different shift. Yeah. And which seems like a natural shift. I it, guess. Seems like an, it seems like a natural shift. Yeah. So, so I thought, uh, you both made a really great, great point about being sort of uh, having your own companies and being able to really define that culture. So uh, from these leadership positions, what do you think that we can do as sort of like an innovation community to improve the Boston startup scene, to make it more open to women? It's funny. One, one thing I wanted to say that's been surprising to me in setting culture, setting benefits, mm -hmm. everything else in the company is just how expensive it all is. Yeah. Man, it is so easy to go out there and pontificate about you know six months paid maternity paternity leaves, but then mm -hmm. when I look at what that does to our overhead costs, if, it, mm -hmm. if I look at going from like twelve to fifteen days paid vacation, which is egregiously low in my opinion, like holy cow, this stuff is expensive. Yeah. So there's um. And this will actually feeds into my, my commentary on sure. the, the Boston startup scene. But there's a really big gap between the rhetoric of what's good and the practicality of what's possible. And I think in Boston, there's a 
really fairly broad understanding that there is a startup scene, that that's exciting, that that contributes effectively to the economy, that it's a viable alternative for people coming out of undergraduate or graduate schools that don't want to just go run on the hamster wheel but want to take their ideas and put it into action. Um, but then when you're going like past the sparkles and into the reality, I think there's this big chasm. And so when I'm going in and talking to various government agencies or trying to connect and say, hey, you know, for, you know, whether doing a pilot or whatever it is, um, people might talk about the innovation district, but they don't know that all sort of surprised out and it's a bunch of architects and lawyers that work down here now. <laughs> or they might talk about, oh, it's so amazing that you have your own startup. Um, or like, oh, yesterday was Veterans Day, do you get it off? And you're like, well, no. <laughs> like, um, and it just, I, I wish I had a more concrete example in the front of my mind. It's radio, so, so I should keep talking and I'll let Jackie talk so I can think of my story. Um, but the, the big gap between understanding of the day-to-day and what it costs and what it takes to make something happen versus the like golden image of everything being perfect is something that I think should be narrowed in Boston. And furthermore, the gap between what a startup looks like and what a mature company looks like and how those two things shouldn't and can't be the same. And when you're dealing with professional relationships with really established companies or people who are in in quote-unquote normal lines of work, just understanding the day in, day out of a startup is something that we can, we can pull together. Yeah, I mean... I can't really point necessarily to things that will make Boston a better place for women entrepreneurs. I mean, the whole startup and uh, tech economy really has to be more women-friendly, but that's difficult when the majority of tech companies, I mean, Apple, Facebook, Google, have all faced this problem. It's a huge PR problem now for them. Mm-hmm. But I think part of it is that those are engineering-driven companies, and the fact is there are fewer women in engineering. So if... of your workforce are comp sci graduates, then you also need to feed that somehow. So there's also societal expectations of what children should do. And now I'm the mother of a young child and seeing how kids get socialized very, very early on into what are acceptable careers. So I think that's a huge societal problem that we should all be aware of. And so like, how do you encourage your girl child to see engineering as a or science as a viable career when all she's being inundated with is sort of like pink dolls uh, and, and those kinds of roles are seeing as acceptable. I think as young as three or four years old, they get it. Yeah. So that's, that's one big thing. Uh, but I think overall, the, the startup culture itself, um, you know, the, the, the matcha all night pizza and Red Bull festivals, uh, that's, you know, not very conducive to a sort of getting women involved in the startup scene, because if you're the first woman employee in a five person startup, it's not very comfortable to be, and maybe not even safe, you know, to be at the office until three o'clock in the morning, and then how are you gonna get home? Even if there's Uber to take you home, still not great to be leaving the office at three o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. There was that whole issue with Tinder uh, recently with uh, one of the founders was a woman, um, but she was slowly marginalized from the business. Uh, first, she was demoted to a VP, and then next, um, in all the marketing materials, they wouldn't even acknowledge her as a founder um, because, quote-unquote, they thought it was lame to have a female founder. And that's not very conducive <laughs> to sort of any yeah. sort of culture. Let's hope that's an outlier. Yeah. But one of one of the challenges maybe is the transition from the transition of culture. If you have male founders, 
How do you transition from the culture of that dynamic into a company and a culture of a company that's going to welcome and people that have a different sense of how they work or the times, the hours they want to keep or how they like to bond with a team? My co-founder and I have had to walk through this. We have a particular dynamic. We worked together for a year. We've started hiring. Um, and drawing this line, what Silverside Detectors corporate culture and what's just the way Andrew and Sarah interacted yeah. and needs to be dispelled in order to make space for more people coming in. Yeah. Um, and I, if I could change one thing about startup culture, not talking about the urban Boston host environment for startups, but actually the dynamic yeah. among startups is I think startups the last bastion of justified workaholism. I just, <laughs> I don't think it's okay to have this like, kind of bragging culture of, oh my gosh, I'm pulling these 90-hour weeks, da, 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 you know. I think what needs to be justified is what are you accomplishing and how are you doing that well and remaining human as you as you do that. Um, if you have a lot of companies that, oh, we don't give, you know, we don't give PTO, people can take whatever they want when they want, then the onus is on the person to say, actually, hey, I'm not coming into work today. And the expectation is you're always there unless you're not going to be there. Um, if you spell out through your... Um, your benefits if you spell out through your leave policies through your holidays that we expect you to have a life outside of your job and we expect you to go invest in that and then we expect you to do a lot more than you want to when you do come to work um that's going to promote long-term kind of marathon health and what sometimes is a sprint culture Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, for one, have been working really hard to try to enforce that. After all, Clio Health is a healthcare company, and we're trying to help people you know, manage chronic conditions. Well, we don't want our employees to develop them. And lack of sleep, um, you know, o overeating of too much sugar and you know, too many carbs, all those kinds of things, and not eating properly, not taking the time to have proper square meal um, and having the time to cook a healthy meal at home. Mm -hmm. Those are things that we need to make sure all our staff members do. And so I've been trying really hard to set that example. Um, but, but, but it is hard. Um, and also, you know, make sure that people get time to spend with their friends and family. Because I think that it's also really important for them to be able to recharge. Because the best ideas come when you're actually not starving for food or starving for for sleep we make mistakes and you can't you can't write good code you can't come up with good designs that make sense and follow through adequately if you're always sleep deprived right. and or if you just have too much work on your plate i think it's impossible to do the a plus job if you are so inundated all the time I think, I mean, it's, I think we strive to do that at Mass Challenge right. as well. That's like, we're also going through a transformation as an organization. We've expanded our staff by like two times um, sure. in the past year. And I think that's, you know, stuff that we're figuring out as well. Like you're saying, like there needs to be a healthy culture to attract good employees and like good talent yeah. and to keep them and to enforce a, a culture of, we want you to take care of yourself as well as be a part of our community here. Yeah, we should not be rewarding, you know, people who pull all-nighters routinely. I mean, that's not something that we should, you know, they get a gold star because they stayed up all night. Well, we should all be able to manage our work so that you can, you know, sleep a reasonable amount and you don't have to be jacked up on Red Bull all the time. And it's okay to ask for help, I think. Yeah. And we have sprints, sure. We have deadlines, and then it's all hands on deck, but we want to keep that to a minimum and you know, do it when it's really called for, not every day. Yeah.
<laughs> my Absolutely. co-founder and I submitted this massive government proposal last year at 3 a.m. On, on December 24th. <laughs> we found a beer in the fridge. We toasted each other Merry Christmas, and we both disappeared for two weeks. <laughs> so that's the balance between you got to yeah. get stuff done. Yeah. And then you know what? Like... Go enjoy your Christmas and New Year's holidays and come back excited and in love with what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I told my co-founder last year that he needs to go on a vacation. So I suggested and I found him a surf camp resort in <laughs> Puerto Rico or Costa Rica. And I think that was the best thing ever. Yeah. Okay, he had to pay for it himself. But still, you know, that was a push to give him time to really recharge and think about it. We were going through lots of strategic changes and... Rest is important. So yeah. I think that's a big cultural shift that we can, we can make, right, Sarah, in, in our own companies. And hopefully yeah. one startup by startup, we can make that change. Yeah. Particularly, I think, in an environment like this where there's so many companies in one place, it's, I think it's great that you guys are kind of changing from the inside and then it, it's visible outwardly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we're running out of time. Uh, but to sort of close up this wonderful discussion... Uh, anything that you guys would like to plug with your companies? Yeah, <laughs> Google Silverside Detectors and ask any questions you want about national security. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do. We're at uh, cleohealth.com, K L I O health.com. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, we're always interested in feedback and uh, partners, people to work with. So, um, yeah, check us out. Yeah, and check out Mass Challenge. We'll, we'll throw in a plug for them too. <laughs> right. yeah, in ter- yeah, in terms of uh, Mass Challenge things, uh, definitely follow us on Twitter at Mass Challenge. We're on Facebook as well. And also subscribe to our newsletter. We're going to be opening up applications for the next Mass Challenge class of startups in February. So pay attention to that. Uh, thank you to our wonderful guests, yeah, Sarah and so Jackie. Much, uh, also, another big thank you to our engineer, Jeffrey Danford. Uh, this has been the Win and Entrepreneurship edition of the Startup Soundboard. Thank you all for listening. Have a great day. We would not be able to do Startup Soundboard without the support of our wonderful Mass Challenge sponsors. Today in particular, we'd like to thank the Innovation Design Building. The Innovation and Design Building is a 1.4 million square foot mixed-use complex located in the Innovation District in Boston's emerging seaport neighborhood. This eight-story structure was constructed in the early 1900s as a waterside storehouse for the South Boston Army base. Today, it is now conveniently located along the MBTA Silver Line route, just minutes from South Station, and it is now home to many creative tech and manufacturing companies. The complex also houses the Boston Design Center, New England's premier resource for design professionals, with showrooms featuring over 1,200 1,200 luxury products, lines of fabric, furniture, lighting, antiques, fine art, wall and floor coverings, and kitchen, and you name it, the Innovation Design Building has it.